This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our show in which we talk about the club that we love um, and laugh at the ones that we don't. Uh, and today we are certainly going to be doing plenty of that. Uh, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be in the world, listening in, tuning in to today's show. Thank you so much, ever so much for doing so. Uh, I'm going to introduce you now to our couple of guests we've got on today's show. First of all, joining us uh, once again uh, from his very, very nice looking florida background it's mike how you doing mike you good uh, doing lovely it's a wonderful weekend it's become a wonderful weekend to be an arsenal mm. supporter yes it has um it didn't start off I mean, that necessarily but <laughs> i mean maybe people became arsenal supporters f- for this weekend alone and have now committed okay. so you never know you never know i, I know if I had a friend of mine actually who is an arsenal fan had a child this weekend so maybe there is indeed a new arsenal fan uh in the world uh unless the missus gets their way which is Ranking something out i'm gonna have right. with <laughs> literally an arsenal fan is a fetus was yeah, a fetus. indeed Indeed. Um, also joining us this evening, always good to see this man's face. It's Bailey Keogh. How are you doing, Bailey? Hi, guys. I'm good. Not, of course, not as uh, as beautiful background as Mike's, but I'm delighted to be on the delighted to be on the show. And uh, what a time to be on the show as well. What a Sunday it was outside of Arsenal, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, I'm, an, I, I'm compensating for my looks by having a nice background. You need no compensation for your looks, so it's fine. <laughs> it's a reunion of sorts. When was the last time the three of us were all together? Uh, oh, well, that might have been the 26th of August of last yeah. year. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> what happened that day. But, yeah, uh, something happened. Something happened. Um, yes, obviously, Mike, yesterday was an experience. Uh, today was a wholly different experience, but certainly... Not, I want to say as enjoyable because it wasn't as enjoyable. I don't think many things will top uh, what happened yesterday and the excitement and the emotion of yesterday. But today was great. We'll start with yesterday and then we'll kind of get onto the ramifications of the weekend. Uh, tell me how you kind of dealt with emotionally the the ninety minutes we witnessed. Well, first, uh, you know the the location of the game. I mean, since I've moved down here, there is kind of a ragtag supporters club. There's 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 Arsenal supporters down here in the, you know, in in the 
that we know of in the tens or the dozens, but uh, getting everyone together in one place, especially for what's a morning game here, has not been proven to be that easy. So uh, the one pub, and he's owned by, it's owned by a Newcastle fan, so he gets football, obviously, uh, that is open for early games. We all kind of flocked there yesterday. Um, and uh, got to say, you know, the place was a little stunned after about nine seconds or so. Um, but it turned into one of the greatest, you know, when you go to a pub and you watch your team lose and you've gone through the effort of getting there and, and having to sort out driving and, and the expense and all that, it, it, you just really don't want to end up just getting sucker punched in the face with a, you know, with a unexpected loss. There's always going to be other, other supporters that are there of other teams. And because we were playing at the same time as that lot up the road, they were, uh, they were giving it to us pretty, pretty large after that nine second goal after the second goal and uh and as they always do they got what's coming to them but uh i mean just a one of these things that you see in a season like arsenal are having we saw it in 88 89 We've, we're seeing it again now um uh, just the things that you don't expect to happen are happening and it is hard to convince yourself if one was inclined to try to convince themselves that something special isn't in the cards right now because of i mean this is our third straight last gasp 3-2 winner in the last since the united game that you know at the end of january this yeah, is this is ridiculous at this point oh are we pushing our luck bailey at all do you think is this you know are we uh, <laughs> how long can we keep doing this for i think this is the stuff of champions tc i'd, I'd look at it that way i think um yeah i think of manchester city in 2018-19 when they were pushing liverpool i think of the leicester defensive company goal out of nowhere i think of games where they were expected to win but they made a hard job of doing it i think it shows your mentality rather than your uh lack of creativity let, let, let's just say i think we should really revel in it and, and celebrate it rather than be negative about it and I know we, we need to focus on the celebrations and the wins, but again, that game against Bournemouth, we were very unlucky with the decisions that didn't go our way and that could have changed the complete outlook of the game in the first half, of course. So that is another factor to look at. It's not just the opposition we're playing against, but it seems we're also playing against the officials. So so again, it's, it's they're all against us, but we're overcoming it and we're winning. And I think it does high, highlight our mentality and the leaders we have in the team. I and mean, we do need to celebrate and look at the positives rather than negatives. I don't think it is a negative that we are getting last-minute goals. I don't think you can look at it in that way, to be honest. No. Um, no, I, I don't think so. You know, as you said, I remember that. Was it Sterling against uh, Southampton? I remember them. Yeah, you know, and Bournemouth as well. And Bournemouth, yeah. I mean, look, they've they've scored late goals. It's part of football. It's, it happens, you know. And uh, if, if we're honest, you know, this morning I did kind of a somehow managed to do 50 minutes solo talking about yesterday's game, trying to round up everything possible. And I kind of skipped over some things that I want to go into a bit more detail in this evening. Despite the fact that we left it late, I mean, arguably there are moments in the game, Mike, where we could have perhaps had things go our way to wrap things up sooner. I'm, yes, I'm alluding to VAR, which I don't want to put too much emphasis on in a game which was filled with so much emotion. But I did cover a lot of that this morning I didn't really give those that were listening who really wanted us to talk about I think I saw a tweet someone tweeted that Sam Dean of the Telegraph replied to you may have seen it like why did no one ask Arteta in the press conference about um 
I, I mean, for anyone, don't asking, you want to be invited back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, who who cares about VAR the mo- in the moments after that win? So I don't blame anyone in that press room, uh, and I wasn't because I was waiting uh, in the mix zone after the game. But um, for those that are in there, I don't blame anyone for not asking about VAR. But I will ask you the question now. There were four incident instances. In particular, there was the, I think it's the Mepham handball first, the one that drops high onto his onto his arm. There's the Tommy Asu one. I think it's Senesi that, that tackles him from behind. I might be wrong, but I think it's Senesi. Kicks the, him I from behind? Yeah, kicks him from behind, basically, yes, when Tommy gets the ball first. There's the Billing handball, um, which is kind of where Gabriel goes in with the header and then it hits kind of his arms like in a weird contortion but he's it managed to hit his arm yes it was very strangely bent but he managed that is, to that's the one I, I can actually do that now 100 pounds ago i wasn't able to actually do that <laughs> it's i mean the perks the perks that come with that isn't it it's amazing, amazing. imagine what I'll and then the last one more pounds from that <laughs> the last one's the sack across i think it's senesi again or it, mm, I, yeah, I think it is it, well or maybe it was stevens one of the center backs you You're know, missing the one, um, the one that happened zero seconds into the game. <laughs> well, yeah, oh, well you were talking about that. So that's the fifth one, yeah. yeah. So the fourth one I'm thinking of here is the one that hits the post after the arm kind of goes into it. But then you can say the fifth one is the goal at the start of the game, which had two to three Bournemouth players in our half when it was kicked off. So how egregious should we feel um, regarding these decisions? I mean, look, you, you don't when you when you achieve an incredible victory because of how it happens you don't want to spend a lot of your time talking about the fact that it could have been easier it could have been you know it should have been so you know i am much more aggrieved by the var decision against brentford than i am against any of the ones from yesterday simply because we won the game but right up until the 98th minute of that game uh I was pretty angry, like, like because they were happening in real time. I didn't really, really understand the full depravity of the situation against Brentford until maybe even like a few hours later or the next day. And by then, I'd already had a pedicure and was like flushing the thing, the bad news out of my mind and trying to use all my tricks and, yeah, it. you know, as one does. <laughs> um, but uh, to get over a hard, a hard uh, dropping of points. Yeah. But the, uh, but yeah, I. In real time, I was angry yesterday. I was angry that we didn't put them away earlier. I was angry that like that that VAR took the time to look at these things and determine, maybe with the exception of the of, of the offside kickoff, and and determine that they just weren't of any value. I mean, if Tomiyasu getting kicked from behind in the penalty area isn't a penalty, but what David Luiz did against Wolves a couple of seasons ago was, I think we really just need to all sit down and have a little talk. Uh, because we were playing 14, 15 men and an entire, an entire industry of, of, uh, of people who have instituted a practice in our game that public facing is supposed to improve the game. And the dirty little secret is it's supposed to give more control to referees to, to execute their conscious or unconscious biases. And it's, it's getting absolutely absurd, but to focus too much on it for Arteta or the club is you know is is at this point taking your eyes off of the prize and we to his credit he's not doing that no he didn't um but yeah we were screwed we were screwed Sorry? repeatedly. we were screwed repeatedly yeah, oh, we were screwed also, yeah in short yeah absolutely bailey just to get your to give you the opportunity as well to talk about this you know we've already been well we've been officially apologized to once from the brentford thing there was the whole third 
party panel that decided the Erdegaard incident at Man United that led to the Martinelli goal should have been, which shouldn't have been uh, overturned. Um, and I feel as though if Arsenal had have dropped points in this game, there probably would have been more made of those decisions and potentially a third apology, especially for the first goal, which is an illegal goal. And it sounds mad to use those words, but it is by the letter of the law an illegal goal because of the fact that there's three Bournemouth players in our half when they kick off and score from it. Um, how, it is ridiculous, isn't it, that we're you know not even three quarters of the way through the season and we could be looking at three games, probably more if we went into more detail, where arguably we deserve apologies off the powers that be that make these calls. Yeah. By the way things are going, I think we should introduce a point system. Strike one, it's an apology. Mm -hmm. Strike two is another apology. Strike three is we get points or there's a, there's a, a rescheduling <laughs> of the game because... Get what points. Kind of not, not a points deduction, but... but to no, get they just generate them. them. Like, just like, you can have a point. You can have a point. You've got points. It's like you the AOL. You've got mail. <laughs> Literally, it's a joke because I don't know what apologies can do then just wow you up even more after the like result. They give you a really warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Do you not, do <laughs> like you not get that? That's, that's okay. The league title's gone, but you said sorry, so it's fine. It just annoys me even more in the next week. It's, it, I don't understand the apologies. I'd rather them stay quiet and just act like the decision was made by themselves and they decided that it was right rather than finding out that it was the wrong decision. It doesn't give me any warm in my heart. This increases the anger. So it is frustrating and it does again highlight the, the the poor officiating in in our in the greatest league the super league of uh, European world football so it does need to sort out because this is a very unique situation that Arsenal win and at the moment I think the only thing stopping us is the officials rather than the opposition they're becoming more of a problem so hopefully now I think officials are aware that we've been kind of done over wrongly so I think that from now towards the end of the season I am kind of hoping that we might even get something in our favour because referees are going to be mindful of what happened in previous games and of course the um, the scrutiny from previous matches as well but not to mention I'm, I hope the referees do want Arsenal to win the league after Mark, Mark Clattenburg's recent comments because clearly they have a role to play if the Danny Simpson said what he said if it's true of course the allegations but we should say I mean on that Mark Clattenburg I believe has come out and said that it's preposterous was was his word that he used um in that so we'll see if there's any legal proceedings that indeed do follow that um but i i was stunned when i when i heard what was being said which i'm not therefore then surprised um to see uh, the response from mark clattenberg in that instance but you know in regards to the, the current officiating you know I, I i like to think that you know if you're good enough you take the game away from the officials um Unfortunately, you know, in a season where, you know, fine margins define games, no matter how good you are. Um, and there are games, you know, part of a season and part of a, a title winning season in particular is playing badly and still winning. And but Tom, if you if this was the if this was like a, you know, like a, a, a lesser league, like, I don't know, La Liga or some other league, like if, if everyone was against Barcelona, they should still have enough in the tank to beat Getafe and Osasuna without you know being stacked up against the 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 referees in VAR but the uh I mean the Premier League is is a is a league with more parity than any top league in the world and so as we've seen one versus 20 two versus 17 there's never an assumption even if you're playing at home that you should put them away regardless of four VAR decisions going against you that could have led to goals so um I mean, it's 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 the competition in the league where even under a perfect situation of 
complete automated or completely unbiased refereeing and 50 50s going 50 50 uh you're, you're not going to be in a position where you're just going to dominate teams all the time so i you know i i agree with the, the whole rationale of you know what we should have never put that brentford game in the hands of var but in reality that doesn't hold up because brentford's a good team and you're going to draw teams like brentford or you're just going to beat them one nil without necessarily deserving to win and that's what should have happened in that game if not for var yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I didn't get to do uh, this morning, Bailey, on the on the show was actually Lord's Aaron Ramsdale. Um, I was so focused with kind of the enormity of the win and what Nelson did. But I think that Ramsdale's coming for a bit of stick from some supporters for some of the games. I think that there's been moments, I think you think back to the Man City game, um, was it the Man City game where he kind of flaps at the, the cross that comes in? Um, and that moment was kind of a touchstone, I think, to then suddenly start looking at him under the microscope. And for me, I'm so glad that he is our goalkeeper for this season. I'm so glad that we signed him. I'm so glad that we've got him to the point where I've started calling him Aaron Chicago, as the chat box has pointed out. I don't know if you, any of you saw this the other day, but I've been so excited about Chicago. <laughs> I just said Chicago instead of Ramsdale on the show. <laughs> I don't know why it's happened, but it happened. I'll send you That's the clip crazy. afterwards. I got so many people sending me clips of it. And I just oh say God. it so nonchalantly and just carry on talking. Um, it's, it is very funny. Um, but Bailey, this guy has obviously been relegated, I think, three times. And as a goalkeeper in a situation where you're, you know, you get relegated, you're often playing at the bottom of the table and facing teams where you're constantly facing shot after shot after shot. It's like Mike on a night out, basically. But um, in regards in regards to kind of that situation, to move into a club like Arsenal, where you dominate possession. And especially in the game yesterday, um, where there are going to be extended periods where you aren't doing anything and you've got to stay focused. And when they get those chances, Bournemouth, You've got to be ready and raring. And I know, yes, he conceded two. I don't know how much he could have done about either of them. But in particular, the save from the counter-attack in the first half. And then we think back to the Villa game and the save he makes from Leon Bailey. He pushes onto the bar. I can't hail the guy enough for the big saves he's made for us this season. Pivotal and in pivotal moments. I think the wins against Aston Villa and Bournemouth are so significant. Maybe even more than beating City um, last week. And his saves are a reason why we did um, win the game uh, in any way. So it's crucial. Not every, not goal, no, I can't think of a goalkeeper that's perfect. Every goalkeeper makes mistakes. Even Alisson this, this evening, you saw when he almost gave away the penalty to Bruno Fernandes. Goalkeepers make mistakes. Edison is prone for making mistakes as well. When Even when City won the league, it's... It's natural for your goalkeeper to make mistakes. It's because goalkeepers are, are under the limelight so much because one mistake can, is usually pivotal and it is usually fatal, should I say. So it does cost you. But Ramsdale showing this season growth, which I think is crucial to, to why he should be the Arsenal uh, number one goalkeeper going forward. Last season, he had his ups, he had his downs. But this season, I think he's shown a bit more consistency, which I like to see. And it's showing again that he is capable of being Arsenal's uh, number one goalkeeper. He's got he's a mentality monster as well. He, that's crucial. I think Umar commented, he compared him and Jens Lehmann. I think it's a fair comparison. I think those two, they've got that craziness to them in the, in the, in the back line, which we do need. And that's what gets you over the line sometimes as well. It just adds to the mentality. You can see he has a fantastic relationship with the defence. You see him with Ben White, when Ben White scored. Even when Nelson scored, Ramsdale was right up there first. So I think he is a goalkeeper. Gets He does get uh, unnecessary hate. I think he is arguably the, one of the most important pieces as well 
to the team. And yeah, the hate is unfair because yes, as you mentioned, TC, that Solanke save in the first half, I think if Solanke scores that, it's a complete different game. I, I think if we considered two in such quick uh, succession, that is that that would have been uh, damaging for our morale. So Ramsdale's crazy, like yeah. a fox. Layman was just crazy. Yeah. There were no foxes involved. Uh, I mean, so I, I don't get the connection. Psychological I mean, I, issues. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand the. I mean, and, and in a way that endeared him to all Arsenal fans everywhere. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. I mean, Ramsdale's never gone behind the goal and and literally taken the piss. Uh, but uh, you know, I think Layman's done that on multiple occasions. So yeah, I mean, it's the the comparison is is apt because they are both a little. They they like the the, the and Tom, I'm doing this for you. They like the s housery. Uh, and they like how it gets, uh, you know, gets the team behind them and, and, and kind of gives us a little bit of a, of an edge. But, uh, but I mean, there were literal issues, I think, with Layman that, that, that don't exist with Ramsdale. Cause I think Ramsdale knows exactly what he's doing and, and he's titrated it to the point where it's not inappropriate. It's not Emmy Martinesque, uh, Emmy Martinez-esque. Um, it, and, and he's backing it up. I mean, he's not the perfect goalkeeper. I'm not sure who in the world is the perfect goalkeeper at this moment. I mean, De Gea is playing well again, but we, we've seen bad play from him. I mean, don't talk to me about any Chelsea goalkeepers. <laughs> who? How many goals did he let in today? Uh, well, well, yeah, well, I guess we'll go into that. But the, uh, I mean, the, the, there is no perfect goalkeeper, but he's the perfect goalkeeper for us. And especially given the way we like to play, you know, so maybe he's rolling the ball out eight feet in front of one of his defenders and you can't really say, oh, his distribution is amazing. But that's what we needed at that moment in time. And and that's what builds up the attacks that we're having. So, you know, if he's got a couple where he alligator arms it, uh, where you think he might have been able to do better, one of the goals, uh, I think the original, the, the, the goal yesterday kind of went through him, the first one. But he was also facing a point blank shot off of a deflected ball from, you know, off a defender. So I don't know what people want. And anyone who's going after Ramsdale right now is just is is a person who needs someone to go after. And I got no time yeah, for people I guess like that's that. That's the way of putting it. Yeah, you know, there's always a need of of, of a target. Um, that was Gabriel earlier in the season. Um, and you know, you look how he's responded. We're even uh, seeing Martinelli was a target a month ago. What was it's it? Ridiculous. Bailey said he's a liability. I think you labelled Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of me that. saying that yesterday. I was thinking of me saying that yesterday as well. I was thinking, oh, oh Bill, you're not one of them, are you? No, I don't. I don't believe. I think yeah, I, he made mistakes at the start of the season that I was a bit worried about, <laughs> and Saliba's performances were just so elite that Gabriel's mistakes are coming to the coming to. So the Gabriel floor, suffered in your mind because of how good Saliba was. <laughs> yeah, he can't help himself. He can't help himself. <laughs> Brilliant, love that. Absolutely love it. Um. It, it wasn't all sunshine and roses yesterday um, because Leandro Trossard um, really frustratingly might got injured. Uh, we aren't 100% sure on the situation. I, I've been told that it's a groin issue that they're assessing today. Um, it looked muscular. And you know, Arteta faces the press on Wednesday in, in Portugal. So I'm assuming we'll find out a bit more come that day. Um, and we hope for good news. But... Uh, that that's such a blow, isn't it? After how good he's been. Yeah, I mean he he's been a revelation. I mean we we knew he was good at Brighton, but I mean as to how quickly and well he would fit into this club, he's been the exact thing that we needed. And you know between Naketia not being a hundred percent fit, Trossard mm. now. I mean a, you know a groin injury as a man who has a groin, but rarely uses it. Um, 
I would I would be all right with a with a slight groin injury, but Trossard, I, I you know, footballers tend to to miss weeks, if not months, for that. So I'm really, really hoping it was super precautionary. But if it's a strain, even not even a tear, Doctor Feinberg's here to tell you we're, we might have to face a while with him on the on the bench, and it's and and it sucks. It opens up a door, interestingly enough, for somebody who I'm sure we'll talk about in great detail because of what he accomplished yesterday. But you know, you just you hate to see it. Gabi Jesus is coming back. You're excited to see how everyone's going to play together, and and now we might not see that for a little while. But uh, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that one because that would be the uh, the the bad news and the good news bad news situation for uh, for yesterday's game for sure. And Bailey, like. He's obviously kind of slotted into that centre-forward position after we lost Nketiah, really, because of an issue. And I think Arteta did want to do some rotation as well, to be fair. But it fit a lot closer to what we come to expect from Jesus and what he kind of fulfilled in that role, the way he kind of, you know, the close control, the dropping into certain half spaces, the interchanging with Martinelli. Now Martinelli looks until Jesus is back. And, you know, it was great to see Jesus warming down with the players after the game yesterday, which is a big indication of how close he might be. You know, I've kind of set the Europa League away, uh, second leg as kind of what I'm looking at as maybe when we might see him. I'm ho- I don't know that for sure. It's just a theory. So don't quote me on that. But that's kind of what I'm targeting personally to hopefully see him back for. Um, but uh, what do you make of now potentially with Fulham at the weekend? I know we've got Sporting as well. Seeing Martinelli as our starting centre forward. I think Martinelli does well there, but it's a shame because Martinelli was again finding his best form on the left hand side. And I'd, I'd have liked him to stay there just for a few more games. Now he's going to have to reacclimatize himself to go back to left wing once Jesus does come back. But I'm happy he is an option there. And I'm going to refer back to 2019 when quoting Jurgen Klopp after Arsenal first Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, Klopp called Martinelli a great striker. So let's hope that Martinelli can live up to those expectations in the game against Fulham because that is going to be a tough, tough match. And of course, against Sporting Lisbon as well. Yeah, it, it, it's... Did Klopp call him Gabriel Chicago, though? He didn't call him Gabriel Chicago, unfortunately. <laughs> Not that label. If he did receive that label, then I'm, I'm more than happy uh, for him to be a striker for, for a long time. <laughs> he didn't get it, unfortunately. But yeah, it is, it is a worry playing Martinelli Thursday and and again on Saturday or Sunday, Um as as a striker because he's not used to the position but hopefully you're right TC and uh, Jesus does come back as soon as possible because having all three of our striking options is just not uh, convenient whatsoever. Does make either of you think that next season having three natural strikers is what we need? Why not, Bailey? No, I don't think it's ideal because having a third striker that player won't be happy. That player will not be ready. That player will not be fresh. I think it's good to have two strikers and a player who can operate in, mm. in the forward position. I don't think it's healthy having a first striker. I'm guessing that first striker would be for Lauren Balogun as well, where mm. we need him to develop. So I would say absolutely not to that. Sell him. Sure mean. Sell Balogun, is that what you're saying? 100%. Whoa. 100%. Like over, over in Ketia. Wow. I well, that it's predicated on what I expect the market value for those two right. players to be. This let me show you a hypothetical. We get a let's say 30 million pound bid for Enketia from Brighton, which you could see happening. You know, okay. they got money, they need a striker, and they've been linked with him before. And then we get a let's say 35 million pound bid okay. from AC Milan for Bal- uh, for Balogun. What would you do? You haven't triggered my my number for Balogun yet, so so that's a different story. My, my, 
my assumption under uh, for for Balogun is a uh, that he, if he continues and finishes off his season like he is now in in France, um, that there may be a team that's that's you know that's ready to spend 40, 45 million on him. And if that's yeah. the case, I don't know that there are a lot of outcomes over the next one to two seasons of him reassimilating an Arsenal where we look at him at the end of that and say he is now a 60, 70, 80 million pound player, not a 40 or 45 million pound player. I, I think the, the more likely outcomes is he comes back to the Premier League and his performance is either stunted by lack of playing time because of God, please help us uh, have, have a healthy Gabi Jesus um, or he struggles to to adjust to the to the differences in play in the Premier League, which, you know, we've seen people be successful in France and then be successful here, but we've seen much more of the opposite of that. So I look at this as a situation where we have a, we have an opportunity for a do over on the Ainsley Maitland Niles situation, where where we we didn't want to sell him to Wolves because we thought he had a future here, came back, doesn't have a future here, and we turned a twenty million pound player into a nothing pound player. Um, I think this is a Joe Willock situation where you ride the high, you say that this guy's market value is as high as it's ever going to be, and rather than take the risk of him not giving us a value of 40 million pounds, you sell him for 40, 45 million pounds. 40, 45 million pounds will pay for a year and a half, if not two years, of the financial cost each year of Declan Rice. It'll pay for the first year and a half to two years of it. If he's an 80 million pound transfer fee, Five-year contract, 200 a week. He pays for almost two years of that just by selling Balogun for a 40 million pound profit because he's an academy player. And I think you've, rather than risking that he's that he's going to, you know, become an even better player or have a better contribution for us, which I don't see, I absolutely sell him this summer. Now, if it's 25, 30 million coming in, and there's an offer for Niketia for 25 or 30 million, which I think is too high, I'd have to think about it. But uh, my assumption is that we're going to get an offer this summer or, or a possibility of an offer for, for Balogun that is too good to, to turn down. And, you know, and, and we, if we bring somebody else in, we bring somebody else in. Bailey, do you want to give your side of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm have to disagree because, only simply because I'd rather keep Balogun, loan him out in the Premier League for a season and keep Enketcher where we'll be playing in the Champions League. So if Enketcher does score, let's say, Champions League goals, Premier League goals, his value will only rise in the following season because him and Jesus will continue to, to rotate, of course. And then we can maybe sell Enketcher for 30, 30 to 35 million and I'd rather take the, the bite, the risk and keep Balogun at the club and have him competing with Jesus and having potentially two quality strikers. I think Balogun's talent is, he's amazing. He's been, since, since he was playing in a youth team, really knew he was going to be a top, top, top class talent. I think you mentioned Willock. I don't think Willock had the ceiling or the potential as much as Balogun does. And I think Balogun being a striker is he's more likely to keep his value if he just keeps scoring goals. I think as a striker, being English as well and young, that value can only maintain. We saw Tammy Abraham have a terrible time at Chelsea, but still Chelsea were able to offload him for 40 million to, to Roma. So I think that plays in Balogun's favour. But again, if we receive a 45 to 50 million bid in the summer, it's hard to, this summer for Balogun, it is hard to say no. I'm not going to lie to you. It's hard to say no to that. I mean, I, I just, you know, we, looking at the finances of the team and stuff, one of the things you'll notice is that we just, we have not been selling players for pure yeah. profit. We've sold players. I mean, Willock is an exception to that, but we, I mean, that makes such a big difference in your player trading, kind of your, your, your churning of players and, and you know, selling players that are more valuable to the other teams than they will be to yours. And, and Tammy Abraham's struggles at Chelsea were more due to lack of opportunity 
than anything else. I think what hurts Eddie Nketiah, and Tom, the, the irony of me saying this on your show, uh, is that I think people in the Premier League who are the only ones that would give Eddie Nketiah a 30 or 35 million pound transfer fee, they know who he is. They know who Eddie Nketiah is, and that's not necessarily a good thing. He's a serviceable second striker. And, you know, and, and we, we've seen how Arsenal he is. I think he's good yeah. enough to be Brighton's centre forward. Yeah. Or, you know, I, I was going to say Fulham, but you know, he's not Mitrovic's level. But, you know, I think Brighton, um, I think you look at, I mean, Nottingham Forest have spent a lot of money on players. They have a billion of them, but I think he'd probably start for them up top. Um, oh, I think he would start for these teams, but he would, I think he would start for these teams. But, but as far as him like being, I mean, starting strikers in the league are going to be 45 50 60 million pound players if they're if they're really really good i mean how much would rashford go for right now how much would i mean how much should jesus have gone for how much you know it, it's i don't know i i, I just think in is never going to fetch the money that that balogun was and we can sell balogun without ever having to take any risk of him coming back to us and not replicating his form in, but mike in would you got being in the champions league wouldn't you want do you think it Enketa is good enough for, for for Arsenal in the Champions League. Would you not want Balogun, who has a higher ceiling? Would you not want to keep a player who has a higher ceiling at the club and have him as a potential second striker to even compete and overtake Jesus? Do you think it's possible to do that? Because I don't think Enketa has the ceiling to... to Honestly, in my, in my scenario for next season, it isn't having Jesus and either Nketia or Balogun. It's having Jesus, someone else, okay. and Nketia. So that Nketia is... Not, I mean, the... You know, we'll have enough games that he'll get playing time. Uh, you know, that we've certainly seen that he can play well. I'm not, I'm not coming down on him as a player. He's been, you know, a little jaded lately, uh, but, but he's been fantastic, much better than we thought he would be coming in for Gabriel Jesus. But uh, I, you know, being being a guy who's essentially our our cup starter all the time, I'd be more comfortable with him in a in a in a third slot. And his contract is not absurd for a guy being kind of a a, a a two A to whoever our number two striker is, and and uh, so yeah, I mean it wouldn't. I don't know. I, I'll again, he, they've earned my trust. So whatever they decide to do, if they think Balogun's going to come back and replicate his form here, and and they don't want to take a forty five million pound offer or a thirty eight million pound offer, then I will stand by them as they do that. I just think that we have to be a little bit more ready to part with potential assets while they're assets, and I think we've learned from the two opposing cases of 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 Willock, who we got a great offer for when we really didn't see him as being part of our future plans. Uh, and you know, Mainsley, not Mainsley Niles, who we kind of came back and saw struggle, <laughs> you know, and I love both of those players, but uh, you know, I, I think we need to start learning from those and, and generating a little bit more sales. And if, if we sell a player who goes on to be excellent elsewhere, I mean, that's what happens sometimes. Yeah. 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 I, I, from, from my perspective, uh, you know, I'm really interested to see what Balogun can do. I think he's obviously the, the level that he's operating at in France is really good. And we've seen a player like Saliba come from Liga and absolutely boss the Premier League as well. It's a different position, of course. Different position, very different position. It, but it shows the transition and the development that you can achieve in, in France. And I don't discount that at all. I just think we need to see what Balogun can do at the Premier League level. And, I, you know, I don't think alone to, if you can renew him for an extra year or two on top of that, because I think you're starting to get dangerously close towards the end of even after we've renewed him, uh, if he goes on loan for, a, you know, a third season, because he's already been to the Championship, he's now been to Liga. If he goes for a third year, he's coming back with two years left on his deal after that. And you're suddenly getting into 
you know, worrying territory. So we sent him out on loan next season for a loan fee, not just to get out from his Ooh, wages, yeah. which are not high. If I we get a loan fee, now, most of the players we've sent out on loan, we have not gotten a loan fee for. Yeah. But if we if we can get you know three four five million pound loan fee and let him grow in the lower the lower reaches of the of the Premier League or the upper reaches of the Championship. I, you know, I could possibly, you know, see that happening because at least we haven't you, completely squandered the championship now. I think you have to be looking, and I wouldn't even say relegation teams in the Premier League. I think you need to be looking at Brighton as a club like Brighton's kind of level, Aston Villa. You know, one of these teams that are kind of in that mid Wolves potentially that are looking in that mid ground. I and mean, he doesn't speak Portuguese, so I suppose he can't play for Wolves. But you know, he needs to be looking at that mid ground. And, and he speaks English, so he can't play for Aston Villa. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, where is he going with that? Oh, yeah, okay, just clicked in my head. Um, I tell you, when I was in the press conference, he's he's developed his English a lot. He he, he? he loves to talk, does Unai Emery? He does. Did he, did he start off with it, and then everyone started laughing, or did he not? He said, "Good afternoon." Um, ah. so, uh, so he's avoided that little uh, trap hole that he made for himself. But uh, yeah, uh, just the last thing I want to talk about on this uh, on this game, of course, is Nelson. Uh, I did a lot about the emotions of the game and, and stuff around his goal. And we've just been talking about kind of keep sell with Eddie and Ketia and, and, and Balogun. So I think it's quite a nice segue. How far might does this go to saying or changing the opinion? Because Arteta was, I think he made an interesting comment in the uh, in the post-match press conference where he basically said he's made us think like and I didn't you know he's made him and the coaches think and that's all he can do really with less than a you know three months left on his deal now basically uh, in fact it is three months left on his deal so what did yesterday do for you and your view of of Nelson's future which one of us you're asking that was you that okay was you. <laughs> I, I actually didn't know that he said that, and that's uh, um, that's fantastic because it's a little bit candider than you would think, more candid than you would think, because it kind of applies that they just looked at him as an afterthought. You know that if 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 his performance is making him them think is happening, then um, then that kind of tells you where I mean that Nelson was leaving on a free this summer and really wasn't part of our plans unless he absolutely needed to be. Uh, which is something you wouldn't have expected them to kind of admit either directly or indirectly. So, um, but he should be making them think because he's, he's done nothing but take the opportunities he's had, even before he got hurt, uh, you know, during the world cup, he was, he was showing some signs. And um, I mean, look, I think I'm not the only person I think that thinks that Reese Nelson's kind of ship has sailed as it relates to Arsenal, that, that, that he's suddenly not going to just find this, this fifth gear that, that, you know, that maybe we saw the upper third gear while he was on loan in Germany for a while. And everyone was like, Oh, Reese Nelson, Reese Nelson. But then ever since he came back, we've seen the, the same Reese Nelson before we sent out on loan. He's the type of guy that could be one of these sneaky keys to the season, to the run in because we have the potential to be without Trussard for a while, because we have the potential to, you know, we don't know yet how much we're going to see from Emil Smith Rowe. Uh, clearly, yesterday they, he had a limit to the number of minutes he can play, and because he went in early, he had to come out early. Um, you know, that wasn't a sub of sub sub type of situation in the classical sense. But but you know, we just we don't know, and all of a sudden, because of these injuries, he is a potentially big part of this team, and he seems like he's ready to take the bit by the mouth. So. Um, you know, do we re-sign him now to another contract for you know at a hundred thousand for the next couple of years? No, 
but we, we might want to make sure that he doesn't leave on a free this summer and see what yeah. happens going going forward. So it, if they if they're starting to think about it, I'm glad to hear that they're starting to think about it because he's a guy you might not want to just completely give up on right now. The exact quote from Arteta, he didn't say think, but it's something along the similar lines. He says, I always saw the potential, the talent, and the desire for him to do it, but I think he's at a different level right now. Okay. I think emotionally, the experiences he's had helped him. And football-wise, it was my decision not to put him in the squad in the last two games because we had other options. But he's knocking on the door. He's been training really well, and it's a good lesson for me and the coaches that we need him and that he can be really important in the team. So I mean, he's going to he's going to be the one that keeps Nuno Tavares out of the team next season. So uh, <laughs> yeah. left wing position. So one of the biggest assets I like about Nelson is his ability more so than Saka and Martinelli to play on either flank yeah. completely comfortably. Like Saka is a right winger. Martinelli is a left forward. Nelson can play comfortably. And I don't think I'd, I wouldn't categorize him as a right over a left or a left over a right. And his ability to use Bailey, his left foot as well, which obviously we saw with the assist for Ben White was, was really, and I say his left foot for the cross, his left foot for the goal, obviously was also absolutely out of this world. But where do you kind of stand on, on Nelson's future? And what I suppose does he have to do between that? And what can he do between now and the end of the season to, to convince the club that they should be extending his deal? Unfortunately, nothing. I think we signed Trossard in January. Now, if we're going to sign another winger uh, in the summer, I just can't see how we keep Reese Nelson. I just don't see where he fits. I like him. I think I, li I like him as a player. As you said, he can play on the right and the left. And that, that signals a player who is meant to be a role player. I think the top players in the game, they have one particular uh, piece of on the pitch where they should be playing. I think of Mohamed Salah. I think of Marcus Rashford, for example. They've got the left-hand side or the right-hand side. And I think Reese Nelson being able to play on both sides does highlight that he is a good role player. But unfortunately, if we are trying to go to the next level, I think we do. And if we do believe reports in January that we were going to say for a Moussa Diaby, let's say, in the summer, then there's just no place for Reese Nelson, unfortunately. I think this season, he can be a big part for Arsenal. He's, of course, he can uh, still create an incredible contribution and maybe create a career for himself. But getting him down to a new contract, just increase having a heavy wage bill still doesn't make sense, unfortunately, for Arsenal. And if we are, again, going for an extra attacker, then he wouldn't stay. But if we don't go for an extra winger, then I'd be more than happy to keep him because he's good for the depth. Yeah. I think if you turn to it, I think if you offered him a one-year deal, I think he'd snap your arm off for it. He is mm -hmm. desperate to stay. Um, we'll see where we are, I think, at the end of the season. We, we renewed Balogun when his contract, I think, was up. You know, So it, it, just because his contract runs out doesn't mean well, that you can't. And, and, keep, and keep, keep in mind, like the smart way to manage your players, whether you see him being a contributor next season or not, I, you know, I... I'm just talking about the, the the literal ability to keep him as an asset. He could, he, he could be an asset on the pitch or he can be an asset off the pitch because we are entering a phase now, right. Arsenal. We are entering a phase now where, where we've seen other clubs be and, and been angry that we're not, which is the ability to sell a player who isn't bad. He's not great, but he's just not good enough to get into our get on our pitch on a regular basis because we have better players, more established players, and yet there's still value to them. So sign Reese Nelson to another year at 50 or 60,000 a week or whatever, keep him around. And if in fact he becomes surplus to requirements next season, as we hope by literally just buying better players, like, like you've talked about uh, Bailey, then his market value isn't zero. It's 
10, 15, you know, it's Dominic Solanke type of stuff. It's Jordan Ibes type of stuff that I'm talking about. And yeah. and that's how you, again, that's how you continue to get back to where you can really, really buy players and pay for top talent is is by making those little moves that we you too often don't make. I mean, and let's be clear, the reason why he's not extended his deal is nothing to do with Nelson. It is all Arsenal. They've just not offered him one. Like right. they, they have just not offered him a contract yet because they... It, he's such an enigmatic member of the group. You, we don't, you don't know where he fits. And I think that's the big thing is that we have to find out where he fits because the club are going to want to continue to strengthen in the summer. We know that a forward is, is probably going to be on the cards again still because we're in a situation where we're going into the Champions League and you want to add versatility to your forward line. And I think obviously with the issues that we've had up top with Jesus and now Trossard and now Enketia this season... And obviously, we've had knee issues with Martinelli in the past, and Saka runs himself into the ground. Arteta is going to want to cover that off with another competitive option. You know, you think about the fact that Liverpool have got Luis Diaz out at the moment, and they went and bought Cody Gakpo. So it's that kind of level of thinking that you need to to look to in the market. And and I think Arsenal will probably look to do that. I don't think it'll be a centre forward. I think it'll be a, a, a a versatile forward again that they look to to try and sign. Um, before. Uh, we move on to the hilarity of Sunday. Um, I want to talk about the success uh, of Sunday um, because, of course, uh, we won the League Cup today, uh, which is absolutely brilliant. What not is not only brilliant about this, but I love managerial stories when when it comes to kind of uh, them being under threat, under pressure. And we've seen with Mikel Arteta, of course, a lot of people, myself included, kind of proven wrong around a coach. And Jonas Eideval has begun to get under a bit of pressure um, this season in particular. And I think it's a little bit out of context because of the horrific context of the injuries to Beth Mead and to Viv Miedemar. And to go and beat, who I believe, you know, we can talk about Leon and you can talk about Barcelona, but I think under Emma Hayes, Chelsea have just been this dominant force, specifically in English football. Um, And Mike, to, to, to beat Chelsea in a cup final without your two best stars and to see players like Raphael get a goal and, you know, um, and Kim Little getting on the penalty score sheet as well. And Black Stenius, who's had to really step up as well herself in in the absence of, of so many others. It's just great. And, and I think it's such a big achievement. It's fantastic. I mean, our, I, I, I am not going to be a poser here and act as though I, I watch the women's game every week and, and that I know mm. every single thing about it. But I am obviously aware and and uh and and i do keep up with it and i i have seen a lot of cup finals against chelsea in the last couple of seasons go wrong um i mean that's sam kerr some player but like it's not just her i mean they're a super team as far as i can tell from my very very limited exposure and and uh so to beat them in a cup final is obviously double the uh you know the the pleasure of just winning a cup final alone and and um I mean, this team, Arsenal is one of the world's best women's teams. They're becoming one of the world's best men's teams, and it's nice to see. It's it's nice to see the success. I mean, it's it 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 resonates around the club in a different way, and its fan base in a different way than it did just a few seasons ago. And I think there's nothing, you know, that you could look at about that and have anything negative to say. So, you know, good on them. Congratulations to Jonas. Uh, you know, for uh, taking a job that I guess, you know, he was kind of almost like the Unai Emery coming in after a legend in a sense, if I, uh, if I'm stating that correctly and and having a tough job to do. Uh, But uh, you know, makes the team proud and makes the entire fan base proud. So congrats. 
yeah, you know, Bailey, obviously we we've our focus is 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 talking about the men's game and we and obviously my channel and and your channel that you do and Mike's channel we all focus on on the men's game and uh, I always remember the advert that my, uh, Ian Wright did talking about kind of if you if you support a team you support the whole team um yeah. how it's it's always difficult because there's a game between Manchester United and Liverpool, which we're going to talk about shortly that's on. And the F1 started this today as well. The new season was on. And as a lot of Arsenal fans will be out there watching that instead of watching us in a cup final, I'm going to ask you the obvious question that I always ask. And until I stop asking this question, you'll know when it's kind of finally got to a level where I don't need to ask the question. But what, what more can we do to start kind of levelling up the exposure, do you think, to the women's game? Look, it's improving. I think it is improving. Um, England winning the Euros was a major, major hit for, for women's football. It got um, the most views in, on BBC, the most watched women's game. It got around 58 million um, views, which was absolutely phenomenal. And in the summer, again, there's a Women's World Cup, which I think England has a big chance. Now, if England does go on to win the World Cup, that can only benefit teams like Arsenal, for right, example. Back for that. Now, 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 hey, but, hey. Yeah. I think you have an obstacle before that's going to happen. Yeah, maybe the US, yeah, you're absolutely spot on. But I, I would yeah. never say that in the Men's World Cup. I root, I root for both teams knowing which one's going to get further. But, but not in the Women's World Cup. Don't, don't come at me with that. It's <laughs> no, not you're coming right. home. You can't, you can't, you can't. It's hard to argue. We're like the, the men's US for the women's. For the women's oh, what I, I love that's is harsh. That's, that's, love that's very hard. That's very harsh. No, you can't say so. That's, <laughs> could, the US men's team compared to the England men's team, like the difference is so significant. The yeah. England women's team now, you know, at the level, obviously, after winning the Euros, yeah. and Beth Mead, I think, one player of the tournament, didn't she? And, you know, if we are without her for the World Cup, that is, you know, you, you're talking about... The, but not, I'm tempted to say the biggest blow, you know, to the England team because she's so important to what we do. Um, but yeah, if, if we have to come up against the US, and I was trying, um, do you know the groups for the World Cup? Do you know who we've got? Women's groups for the World Cup. But if we come up against the US, you know, not having Beth on our side is going to be an absolute yeah. advantage to what we're doing. Um, let's, let's, as I say, it's a brilliant achievement and, um, it's if you if you haven't seen the highlights, go and watch the highlights. And if you're not yet kind of making yourself more aware, I'm not saying that you have to go and watch every game every week because obviously sometimes they clash, you know, with the men's team. And you know, I'm, there's the expectation. I think sometimes some people might feel like there's there's all the pressure in the world to say. I'm just saying, just watch games when you can. Get involved with it. Keep following it and uh, and educate yourself. It's great stuff. It. I, I would every time I'm over in England, I look, you know, I look to see when when other Premier League games are around, when other lower league games are around, when our youth team is playing and when our women's team is playing. And I got to I got out to Meadow Park to see them play in the uh, FA Cup semifinal last year. Um, I guess that would have been October 21. Uh, so from the last season's FA Cup uh, semifinal, October, November, I don't know when it was, but uh and it was phenomenal. I mean, just the 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 crowd, the 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 intensity, the play, the getting to see the players up close. I mean, there's nothing better than watching a, you know watching an Arsenal related game at Meadow Park because you're right there with the players. Um, and uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely get behind it because it's only getting bigger. I mean, it's, I can tell you for a fact that the women's team and performances and games are covered to the same degree by Arsenal America's social media than the men's are. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's unavoidable if one was inclined to want to avoid it, which you shouldn't because it's, it's perfectly and, and, 
and uh, you know, oh, it's, it's something that should be should be watched and enjoyed because we're do, we're doing well. There's no one that would be like an Arsenal fan for men, and then like like another team for the women's. You said if you know, like Ian Wright said, be a, be a fan of the entire team. But can you imagine like, oh yeah, I support Arsenal's men, but I, I you know, I, I like Chelsea's women's team. <laughs> like, what, what would that, that would be? be strange? That would be very strange. Um, if you want to follow uh, anyone in particular for content, I can always recommend Tim Stillman. He does an amazing oh. job covering the women's team. Um, at Stillmanator. That's right, Elliot. I can get it right first time. Um, but uh, yeah, make sure that you're giving him a follow on Twitter. And, Speaking of uh, Elliot, it's yeah. good, good to see you photobombing Elliot and Clive's photos yesterday. Uh, uh, did they that. finally <laughs> accept you as one of your <laughs> that, was Clive. that was all Clive. Uh, <laughs> dragged me into it. This guy comes up to basically, I'll give people the background to this story. Me, uh, Elliot, and Clive are walking back from the Tollington. And then this kid <laughs> runs up to Elliot and is like, I love the Arsenal Vision podcast. It's great. I love it so much. Oh, Clive. Like, like, Hi, Clive. How you doing? Do you mind if I get a photo? He didn't ask you to take the photo, did he? No, no, no. <laughs> but I did have to take a photo for Elliot of someone else with him in the, in the Tollington, which was like, Elliot was like, this is why he's here. This is his job. <laughs> but no, this kid's... And then Clive's like, get in here. And he, I'm like... He doesn't have a clue who I am. <laughs> Tom literally worked his entire life to get to where he is and done v- incredible at it. And then he's being asked to take the picture of, of a couple of podcasters. That, and then yeah. what makes it worse? He tweets it out today and tags Clive and Elliot. Leaves me. I'd rather oh, crop no. me out. I'd rather he cropped yeah. me out. He doesn't tag me. You're not going to force me to understand who Tom Canton is, okay? You can't force me. Oh, it was to be fair. Look, I met a lot of people yesterday at Tottenham and they're going to and from out at the ground as well, who were very complimentary. And I really appreciate all the kind people that came up and spoke to me and didn't ask me for a picture because. Well, and I'm going to be <laughs> your, I'm going to be your and Elliot's uh, personal photographer in Chicago. So trust me, I'm about to get that treatment. I know I know where my level is, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun. I'll be why, your, why are we I'll heading your, to rounds now? I'll be your flavor flav uh, for the weekend. Uh, it was a good look, it was a great day yesterday and uh, wear a and bell around my neck <laughs> yeah. and seeing you know Elliot and uh, and Clive at the ground and Potsy I ran into as well was fantastic and then um the game itself was a joy and uh, and there's an interesting uh players interview going up at 10:30 tonight on football.london you'll be able to read as well across mine Simon on the standard and and, and Mark on PA as well so make sure you go and and check that one out um let's talk about the hilarity of Sunday. Um, Bailey, Manchester United losing not one, two, three, four, five. Was it more than five? I think it was. Six, more than six? Seven. Seven. Seven nil. Um, and supposedly are a side that are in competition with us for the title and are now closer to a UEFA Conference League position in the table than they are the top of the table. Tell me how you enjoyed that laughable game. <laughs> I sat back crossed my legs, cup of tea and just sipped it because this is what I predicted the whole season. They were never, ever, ever title challengers. It was just the media trying to stir and get Manchester United in the mix. They were, they're nev- they've never been there. They've conceded, I believe, 16 goals away from home to Arsenal, Liverpool and Manchester City this season, which is simply not a league title winning team. And I just loved watching. I just loved United getting bad. After last week, all the hilarity, United are back. The Eric Ten Hag era has begun. Casemiro is the best sign of the season. It's beautiful to see the, the, the mini empire crum, crumble after a week. I think it was needed. The humbling was, was absolutely needed. And it just shows that they are not at the levels what people think they are. You cannot lose 7-0 and be a, like, a league-winning team. It's just, it, 
does not make any sense. And uh, yeah, it was a hammering. It was an absolute hammering. But on the other side of things, I am a bit worried about Liverpool for next season. I think that, that was the only I was like, damn. Yeah, that was the other side of the coin yeah. that I was trying to ignore throughout the yeah. whole game. Like, trying they, not to think about that. It's not good. They're still going to sign him. They're still probably still going to sign Jude Bellingham and they still have Luis Diaz to come back. That's a bit scary. But again, mm. I was going to laugh at Manchester United for now. You know when Luis Diaz is back? Uh, um, after the international break, I believe. Oh, uh, when we play them, then <laughs> yeah. Like the, the the good news of Liverpool's resurgence is that Spurs. they're more yeah they're more than likely going to pip Spurs for the fourth for and you know and there's nothing to say they can't get third. Uh, but you know yeah. they're, they're when when you say you know Seven Spurs points. somehow are still in fourth place, it's a joke. What team is gonna you know is gonna rip that away from them at this point? It doesn't look like it's gonna be Fulham. It doesn't look like it's gonna be you know anybody so. but Liverpool. And um, you know would you rather have Liverpool? I mean, there's so many different ways of looking at it, but then the one that you have to look at it is, no, you do not want Tottenham in the Champions League next year. But no. next year, next season, Liverpool, yeah. I mean, but Liverpool should already have been at that. I mean, we, we should be happy that they, you know, that, that they were beatable this season as they were for us and, uh, and that, you know, they're not a threat to us. But uh, next season, you have to expect everyone's going to be better, but, but then you have, but so will we. But uh, I, I, I pulled a Webby today. I did not see the game, but I just saw people laughing and laughing, laughing online, saying four, five, six, seven. Has anyone checked on Gary Neville? Make sure he's okay. I mean, like, like I, if you want to check on Gary Neville, go and look at Jamie Carragher's Twitter. I'll give you the. <laughs> if you haven't uh, seen the picture, I, I got to tell you, I love Jamie Carragher, man. I, I, yeah. I, I think he is the best. I, I mean, not like, the he's best. not perfect. And he's I have not no a problem. Perfect history, but I have no problem yeah. with his tribalism as a as a commentator. I mean, mm. uh, you know, I, I actually kind of find it kind of amusing and 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 level headed, but uh, yeah, not so much Gary Neville. Uh, so seven nil is absolutely hilarious. To you me. see um, Gary Neville in the commentary. Um, they, Gary Neville was trying to seems like this, the five nil wasn't too bad. He's like, look, United just won a cup. This is just a blip. Look, when you go to Anfield, it's tough. It's tough. You can't win there. And Those things are like, true, but five nil. It is true, but five nil. But then Salah goes and scores a six as, as he's saying that, and he just goes completely dead silent. Which was My favorite bit of the commentary was when Gary was talking about how like United can't go to Liverpool and lose seven nil, and Jamie Carragher just went, "Well, they have today," and he went, "Do one." <laughs> Do <laughs> so funny, like oh, it was great. Yep, in the it. states, we're we're robbed from that commentary. I mean, I I would imagine that we uh, that here in the states had Peter Drury and Lee Dixon calling the game, uh, which is which is great. But I mean, th- there's not going to be that same. I mean, in real time, watching yeah, the destruction of a man that has been such a pain in our sides. But uh, you know. Seven nil is uh, you, you love to see that, uh, but yeah, I, am I scared of Liverpool for next season? Yeah, as one should be, absolutely. Yeah. People ask me why I don't do watch alongs. Go and watch the highlights of Mark Goldbridge's show, and then mm. you'll understand. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I have to. I have to. I have to do that. Yeah, because the last I saw, I haven't seen any clips, but I've seen a picture going around. He's hiding behind his chair. <laughs> does, he, does he go from Does he go from frustration to anger, like hope to frustration to anger to acceptance to like make like think, like gallows humor, accepted. or does he never get past frustration? <laughs> My highlight of him, and to be fair, like I don't, I don't mind Mark. I think you know, I think he does some funny things. Um, but uh, the highlight of the season is when he's talking about. Michael Elise about to take the free kick for Crystal Palace and he's like he's not going to shoot from here <laughs> <It just laughs> flies in the back of the net 
<laughs> it's honestly, it's the reaction. It's a little like slam of the desk. That's that gets me every time. Um, yeah, the, the amazing, so funny. And look, not only that, so much shouting for so much shouting Friday to choose from this season. I gotta tell yeah, you, I mean, so, so much. much. And like yesterday, I was so focused on Arsenal, I I left I left the Emirates about um, it must have been about half or quarter to six. So you didn't know Spurs yeah, well after everyone else had left. Walked to the Tollington, and then I heard someone say about Spurs losing. I'd not checked the score. Like I didn't find out Spurs had lost until like two hours after they were watching that game at the pub and and giving it to us huge when we were down two nil. And then like one one moment one minute apart, I think we scored to make it two one. And they mm. conceded to Wolves to, to go down one now. And, you know, you're not singing anymore started all of a sudden at that point. Yeah. But, um, right. oh, it was it was great because they they were really just giving it to us all throughout the game to where we had to go back to our historical chance, you know, the uh, to, to dare us to do 13 yeah. league titles you've only won two. And everyone's <laughs> looking around because they're like American Spurs fans. And I'm like, okay, well, you don't know your history. But you also <laughs> just lost that game and we won. So, mm. Um, have you boys got 15 minutes to spare for some questions? Is that good? I do. Yeah, I know. Cool. Right. We're at the, propor- the, at the proportional rate I charge per hour, yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, if I don't reach the full hour, that's free, right? That's how it works. Can I, can I get the, the unicorn to come on with me for the last 15 minutes? The, ju- <laughs> the unicorn. You can go grab the unicorn if you like. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I can't believe I even called it like he's calling it that. Um, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, any any user questions for the for the unicorn as well for i call him jc uh the unicorn so uh so yeah <laughs> uh michael uh hickey thank you so much first of all for becoming a member really appreciate the support to the channel uh and umar's asking the first question i saved this from earlier on because i wanted to ask you guys uh Arshavin against barcelona Welbeck against leicester Henri against leeds or nelson yesterday against bournemouth what is the best Emirates moment in order. Uh, Umar's is Nelson first, but interested to hear all of your thoughts. Uh, whilst you're thinking, I'll give you mine. Thierry Henry against Leeds is my first. Just emotionally, that goal was nothing. There's just nothing like that. You know, it's just what that on its own was to me. That's why I always think the Invincibles is the greatest achievement and nothing will equal it. Just what that moment meant was huge. Um, closely followed by, I think, yesterday's. A, because I was there. I wasn't at any of the other games. So, you know, being there is, is a big, big thing. Then Arshavin against Barcelona and then Welbeck against Leicester. That's my four. Either of you want to go first in this one? I mean, those are four amazing experiences, all in completely different ways. And I would have killed to be at any one, much less all four of those. Uh, I, you know, I, I was there for the for the United game this year. That was pretty incredible, but it was almost a little bit kind of cut short by the fact that everyone thought that the goal was offside, and we had to wait for you know wait for the VAR. But uh, I mean a goal like that to essentially keep you in the title race. The Welbeck one was, was to bring us back in as we thought at the time in February that into a title race where we, we pulled within two points of Leicester and, you know, of course they were Leicester. So that meant we were going to win the title. Uh, and then from there, absolutely threw it away. So in the moment, I mean, yesterday's gotta be maybe that, mo- that, that biggest moment uh, so far. And, uh, and then for, uh, for, for kind of long-term moments of, of, of value and meaning and, and, and just total enjoyment. Then I would say Henri leads. Uh, 
Welbeck, Leicester, and then Arshavin, Barcelona. I mean, beating Barcelona at home, that was that that was an incredible game. And and Arshavin's celebration will be in the you know, in the history of all celebrations for Arsenal at the Emirates era. But, you know, ultimately it it, it wasn't about the league. It didn't we didn't even get through that round uh, in the Champions League. So with the historical additions to it, I go in in, in basically reverse order of how these were listed on the question. Absolutely. Uh, Bailey? I'm just thinking in the moment and uh, where I was and how I celebrated, I'm going to go off that order. So for me, it literally might be the opposite. I think for me, Arshavin versus Barcelona was just uh, it was just amazing for me, beating Pep Guardiola's um, and Barcelona winning in the Champions League. For me, I just remember celebrating when I was a young kid. So I'm going to put that strangely first. Yeah, I was 71 off. years old when that happened, so it was a little different from me. You see as well. <laughs> well no, the put, first um... time in Mike's presence I've ever been called old. <laughs> <laughs> ever. But, uh, yeah, no, I'll relative, put, um, my friend. I'll put Arshavin Leeds, uh, Barcelona first. I'll put Henri Leeds second. The reason I'm putting Nelson on Bournemouth third is because my sister spoiled the, the surprise for me because I was watching it on a stream. And uh, so was my sister in another room, and she screamed. I was like, "Oh, we scored!" So I it kind of, I kind of lost the, the oh, oh. The, oh my god, uh, reaction to it. So I couldn't. Of course, I celebrated like a madman, but I couldn't really, really feel it. And I'm waiting to see if we win the league. Then that will definitely go up. I'm going to put Nelson Bournemouth third and Robert Leicester fourth. For now, for now. For the, yeah, for the records, obviously, the, the fact we didn't win the league that season in, um, in 2016. Uh, Obviously, I think is why most people probably put well bet Leicester last. But I can't understate the emotions in that moment were unbelievable. Like the the header, who it was that did it, it being Welbeck, like it was an amazing. And he just come back from injury as well. Yeah, he literally just. I think he, I don't know if it was his first game back, but he just was, come back. And, and, well, he was a, he was, was a substitute back, back yeah. so I think it was his first game back. Yeah, he was a substitute. Honestly, the way he ran into the. The way he ran into the crowd in the corner of the North Bank, um, yeah. I mean, the, and, and I remember that was a seven, that was a seven a.m. or seven thirty a.m. kickoff here, and I was in New York, and just, and my wife was sick that morning, so we we would have been gone, we would have been at the pub in New York at O'Hanlon's watching it mm. with a bunch of other people, but because she wasn't feeling well, I just we we skipped it, and is one of my two biggest regrets in the modern era of games that I've skipped going to the pub for that I should have. The other was the day that we ended up at the end of that season. Uh, jumping ahead of Tottenham on the last, finishing second, in the, or they finished third in a two-horse race. But the yeah, the five-one loss against a ten-man relegated Newcastle. I wish I'd gone to the pub that day because the Spurs fans were there. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean that that to me would have been number one until yesterday, just because of the what it meant at the time yeah. and the way it was celebrated to me. But yesterday's, yeah. I mean, you have to put yesterday higher than that because. Instead of pulling within two two points of Leicester, we pulled five points ahead of City. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's going to be different things to different people depending on where they are, what they watch. And if you know, the reason why Henri, again, another factor for me why that's first is because that's not spoiled by anything. You know, that in its in its essence on itself is great. Like the Arshavin one is spoiled because we got knocked out. The the little well bit one is spoiled because we didn't win the league. I'm praying the Nelson one yeah. isn't spoiled. And if it isn't, who knows? Maybe I'd change my view on on that moment um, being potentially higher than Henri because that Henri moment remains unspoiled. It's for me that's why it remains top. So yeah, it, I mean it, it is 
the other three were were competitive. That and, and yes, it did win a game and and get us through the what third round of the FA Cup. Uh, yeah. But but I mean, the moment itself was just on. Yeah. I mean, I'll never forget watching that one either. And for the record, for people that maybe join late and why they're saying why we're not talking about '89, this is talking about Emirates Stadium yeah. moments. That's why. Yeah, I mean, there's no question with the top goal in, yeah. in the history no of our football club. No <laughs> question. <laughs> Charging through the midfield. Anyway, I'm going to get distracted. Uh, Vlad says, uh, do you think we'll rotate heavily, Bailey, against Sporting? Uh, I'd like Kivior, Tierney, Smith-Rowe to start, but can't see Arteta changing too much. Yeah, I agree. I really can't see Arteta changing too much, even though I think it, we must. I think we need to. I think we saw of United today, how they've been playing week in, uh, every weekday, and they, they, today they looked gassed. They looked absolutely gassed. Now, the same would happen with us if we were playing the same team. So I hope Arteta does change a lot. I don't think it will change too much, but I think there will be changes here and there. I would like, I would like to see uh, Kiwi off play as well, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Rob Holden might get a nod done and we might play either Gabriel or Saliva, which I think will happen. Yeah, I think if you will play in the second game, yeah. um, and I and I think he's going to go fairly strong because I think he's going to kind of just do this now, get it done out of the way, win it in the first game away from home, and then the pressure's off a lot more than it would have been. Um, Kivior's first appearance for the club is going to be. I'm sorry, Kivior's first appearance for the club's got to be coming off the bench in a game, right? Not starting a game. Yeah, we'll see. That's what we were to me like there was, um, before the game yesterday. There was rumours that Gabriel was struggling in the warm up to the game. And I remember we were sitting in the press lounge and we were discussing whether Kivior would start. And we all kind of agreed, no, we don't. We thought Ben White would move into right back and Saliba would go left centre back and, and then Tommy Asu would play right back. So, yeah, that's that's what we thought would happen. But, yeah, we'll see if that indeed does happen. Uh, Dwayne says, Mike, do you think Declan Rice is an actual upgrade on our midfield? Yes, but not not on a like a right now only basis but i mean thomas Partey is not going to be with us for the next seven years guys um and you know yeah i mean if you have a chance to sign a declan rice and lock him down long term when we have a 20 uh, you know what a 31 and a 30 year old uh central midfield tandem something like that um you have to do it what, what are we going to wait until they they you know the, those two guys are just on you know when, on, on with walkers and wheelchairs and then and then try to sign somebody at that point Declan Rice is, an, is is definitely an upgrade on our midfield. There's a point at which it becomes ridiculous to spend the amount of money on him that that has been rumored. But you know he's seeming more and more realistic of a summer signing for us, especially if we can hold on to this league championship. Why would he not want to come here? So yeah, I do think he's an upgrade. Yeah, would you? I mean, I mean would you? If, if you had an opportunity to have Jaka and and Partey play all twelve games for the rest of the Premier League season, or input Declan Rice as a as, as a starter in in for one of those two would, would, what would you do for the rest of this season oh Shaka yeah it's, you, you're asking me whether I'm putting Rice over Xhaka because Partey is going nowhere like you know um but I mean potentially you could argue that Rice you know I mean would I rather have Jorginho start or Rice start you know I think Rice is, is a better player than Jorginho um that's a fair, that's and by the way, that's not me saying, you know, uh, because I like pancakes, I don't like something else. You know, that classic social media thing. I think they're both good players. Um, but, you know, Rice is is a Premier League level player that I think is being unduly criticised in a really bad West Ham team at the moment. Um, and I think would certainly elevate his game moving to Arsenal. I think And he locks, down, he locks down that spot, whether he's playing every single game there from the very start or not, he locks down that mm -hmm. spot for the next six, seven yeah. years, I would hope. 
Yeah, so. you'd hope so. Um, Marcus says, Bailey, what's your thoughts on Alar <laughs> moving to Frankfurt? Are you <laughs> in the Alar business, up. Bailey? Yeah, yeah. I knew he was going to bring this up to you, see. But again, he's denied it. And I would like to say that Manchester United also offered, made an offer for him in the summer, which says a lot. Denied uh, it, are they? Yeah, he denied it. He said because this. Uh, I care about Hussein Alar. I didn't know this. Uh, 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 <laughs> I know you've got pictures of him when you, you check his Twitter every, every morning when you wake up, surely. So no idea. So he says he says it's not not happening. Um, and he's available yeah. free transfer in the summer. So yeah, so another reason why we shouldn't sign him. <laughs> <laughs> the ship well, is sailed. Is, is the comment. Such a dodge bullet that was. Uh, Amira uh, says, Mike, did Nelson's cameo show exactly why Arteta sends players like him, Smith Rowe, Balogun? Out on loan. It's never about talent. Played with so much maturity and scored with composure. I don't think he had before. I'd add Saliba into that list, obviously, as well. I mean, these are what loans are supposed to do. Now, I don't credit the loan that that that, Cam, that Nelson went out uh, you know, on any particular thing that happened yesterday, um, mm-hmm. because he's been back from that loan for quite some time, um, and that loan started out as on fire and then cooled down quite a bit before he ended up returning to us. So, but 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 you want you want these kinds of loans to give you the ability to say, you know what, the player's either has value to us or he has value that is now being unlocked by him getting some high, higher profile, you know, viewing time by, by other teams. He's in the shop window now. And, and um, so you have to send players like that out on loan. I mean, the, you know, when we sent out Kalasinak on loan and Mustafi on loan and stuff, that was a different type of loan. <laughs> that was get the hell out of here loan. Um, and 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 somebody pay some of these wages, but the the developing players' loans. I mean, that's what the loan system is for. And you know, you you generate a little bit of money if you can. You 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 improve your books, but what you really want out of that is that three out of every twelve players you send on loan come back better players and better suited for the team. Smith Rowe to Huddersfield and and, and to Germany. You can't say that didn't help him become a better player. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> I forgot so what the question was, but the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they deserve credit. I forgot that Smith Rowe actually was sent on loan by him. It was twice. Uh, was it twice? Well, he was sent to Germany and then to, and, and yeah, to Huddersfield. No, I don't, yeah, it was, I he was sent to Germany. Was it? I don't, I don't know that he was sent. Was Huddersfield was before. was earlier. No, Huddersfield was after Germany. Yeah, it was oh, after it Germany. Was. Oh, okay. Yeah, Huddersfield was after. So on the 31st of January 2019, he joined Leipzig. So that was Unai Emery, not right. uh, Arteta. Uh, but on the 10th of January 2020, uh, he, he joined Huddersfield. Well, he did really well. Um, Two weeks after and, Arteta took over. Yeah, look, he did, he went to Huddersfield and um, he joined a club, obviously, where he was able to kind of play every single week. And he was obviously able to be in a position where he would be getting regular game time. And I think that be, he had a I think he loan. Was, he had the same kind of loan that Patino's having now. Yeah, I mean, we there's an interview on the channel with David Webb, who was the head of football operations at Huddersfield at the time. I spoke to David about the decisions around why he, why he signed Smith Rowe, and he said when he was previously at Tottenham, he, he they also tried to sign him at Tottenham as well, and um, it was a really interesting kind of development that he chose Arsenal and went through that pathway. And obviously, we now reap the benefits of it. But uh, he's a player. I thought you know when he was, as you said earlier, Mike, sub for sub, it was not about not being good enough necessarily. I thought he was, wasn't great. And I think that's all to do with readiness rather than just not being at a level. Um, 
But yeah, I can't wait to see him get back to full fitness and be an asset because he's going to be important in this last end to the season. Um, we are going to wrap Patino the show or Declan up Rice? There. Patino or Declan Which Rice? Who, who starts next season? Who? Patino or Declan Rice? <laughs> I think they can play together, to be honest, if you needed yeah. them to. Um, he's, by the way, Patino's second half of the season is going to be very difficult. Um, I was speaking to a uh, Blackpool fan yesterday and says that he basically is not a Mick McCarthy player. You'll be very surprised to hear. Um, and his, his minutes are going to start diminishing um, from the sounds of things, which isn't great. But I thought he uh, was knocking it out of the park there. Yeah, it's uh, he's been doing really well at the start of the season, but since they brought in Mick McCarthy, not not so good, um, which is really gutting, I think, from an Arsenal perspective. But it's not the players' fault. It's not Arsenal's fault. It's that that's the manager they've brought in. We'll talk about that. The reason why I bring that up is we'll be doing a lone report show on Tuesday evening, I'm hoping. So you'll get updates on Balogun, Pepe, um, who else is in France? There's one more, Tavares. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, we'll be looking into the championships, Austin Trusty, and, of course, Charlie Patino and Marquinhos, who scored and assisted on his debut for Norwich as well. So he's one that we're going to be getting expertise on too. And uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey as well, playing at the moment in Coventry. Not having the best of times since moving from Rotherham, uh, unfortunately. It's not gone as well as it was in the first half of the season for him. So we'll bring you all of that and more. Sambi Lukonga as well at Palace. We've got expertise and uh, words from an expert on him as well. So that's all to come on Tuesday. Mike, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Much appreciated. Tell people where they can find you. Always nice to be able to uh, try to hang for an hour with some actual journalists. Uh, thank you for allowing me the opportunity. Um, you can find me at the Gooners Pod. I believe we are doing uh, a, a podcast today that starts in 45 minutes. I won't be on it, but some of my brethren will. So it, in other words, it will be watchable. Uh, so tune over to the Gooners Pod on, uh, on YouTube and, uh, and, and check out the boys. And uh, follow Gooners v. Cancer on Twitter. Uh, getting ready to start ramping up some fundraising again as we get ready to, uh, to have some in-person events this, this spring, like the one including Chicago Tom. Although it's not a Gooners versus Cancer event, we're going to be raising money for the Arsenal Foundation, for Arsenal Vision, um, and for local Chicago charities as well. So this I am very, very much looking forward to. Um, and uh, it's a great... Oh, I haven't seen the updated one with the uh, with the newest panelist, uh, <laughs> who's the only one who got an exclamation point after her name. <laughs> That's because we're uh, very excited she's going. <laughs> but, I mean, can you imagine a better panel than this? Even like like forget that I'm on it, but like John, Tom, Elliot, Paul, and Sophie. It's going to be a fun time, uh, and the, I think tickets are going to go on sale for this. The Chicago Gooners are doing a great job putting this thing together. So uh, that's the the uh, the weekend of Southampton. And then over the summer, when it's formalized, what we all know to be true, which is the club coming to the States once again for the summer, there'll be definitely a lot of content and fundraising going on. So thanks for everything, Tom. Always love being on your show, uh, no matter what your age is. <laughs> it's more than Bailey's, who has also, of course, been brilliant. Thank you so much, mate, for coming on the show, as always. And uh, good to catch up as per. Tell people they can find you, fella. Absolutely wonderful being on the show. Thank you, as always. Uh, so you see, guys, if you want to find me, I do have also uh, own, my own show on Your Boys on YouTube if you searched out, or you can find us on TikTok and Instagram at YBOFCL, as it says on the screen there. Uh, we've done F1 content today, so if you're an F1 fan, 
check in and watch that because, yeah, there is a lot of debate going on. And, of course, there's been enough Arsenal and Manchester United and the rest of the Premier League chat, so also check in for that. We also do have basketball content coming for you as the playoffs approach. So, yeah, the NBA playoffs, should I say, so watch out for that. But, Mike and TC, thank you for, for letting me be on the panel. It's been a, been a pleasure, as always. Uh, I appreciate that. All I've got to say about the F- all I've got to say about the F1 is thank goodness that Alonso exists. Otherwise, that race would have been oh, so terrible. boring. So incredibly boring. I mean, otherwise, <laughs> that race would have been boring. Hey, I've got I'm in F1 heads. I like it. You know, if you've watched Drive to Survive. I'm waiting for F3 to, to come out. That, that I'll watch. But F1 is just, <laughs> it's too boring. <laughs> thank you, Chatbox, uh, for tuning in. As always, I'll be back uh, for a shorter show tomorrow morning. I'm off to London uh, in the office tomorrow. So we can only do a slightly shorter show before I've got to get a train at 8.40. So we're going to be a race against time tomorrow morning uh, to get all this stuff done. But uh, please do tune in and uh, make sure, as the boys have said, to check out their own platforms as well. I'm sure they would really, really appreciate it. And leave some kind words for them, of course, in the chat box and down in the comment section. And leave your thoughts on anything we've discussed today, including any unicorn thoughts you have as well, uh, in the <laughs> chat box too. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Drop a like, subscribe if you're new. And as always... I was going to say, keep following us down the Arsenal way there, but as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.